We are continuing on today in our series that we're going through in the Gospel of Mark. And, and as I was preparing for this, I was thinking over this last year and, and a little bit over a year, and just all of the crazy things that are happening to different people in different ways and the different effects and tolls that taking on community and families and countries and our world at large. And, and, and as, we're, as we spent some time going through the gospel of Mark, I thought there really is no better thing to do in this time than to put at the forefront of our mind over and over Jesus. And we've gotten to do that in the gospel of Mark to really just reset and, and put our foundation on the thing that is of most importance. And that is Jesus. And, and last week we heard a little bit about um, just who Jesus is and what he's doing. We went through the, the miracle where he, feed, he fed 5,000. And, and I encouraged us to not uh, just get focused on the miracle portion, but allow us to go in and say, what is this saying about who Jesus is? And we realized that there was this theme of Jesus as advocate for his, for his disciples and for the people. And we saw that play out in the analogy that he made in being a shepherd, that Jesus protects us, sustains us, and he also is present with us. And today, again, we get another opportunity as we, as we finish up this chapter, as we go through a couple more miracles, we get an opportunity to see another piece of the aspect of who Jesus is. So really excited for that. We're actually gonna, today we're gonna be still in chapter six, but we're gonna start in verse 45 and I'm gonna take us all the way to the end of this chapter. So starting in verse 45, it says, and immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he dis while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went on to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch, of the night he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and they cried out for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astonished for they didn't understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And when they crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. And they ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to, what, to wherever they heard that he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, countryside, they laid the sick on, in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment as many as touched it were made well. We have these stories and, and in these stories, we have two miracles, one of which is probably the most well-known miracle out of all of them, right? Like Jesus walking on water has made its way into movies and culture and song references and so many different things. And, and so it's really well-known. And, and I made a reference last week that we need to be careful with these stories that we know so well uh, because we can limit our scope and our view of what they mean. And, and, and again, does this proclaim that Jesus is Lord? Absolutely. But there's so much more going on here. 
And then there's this last little wrap up of, of this miracle or these miracles that are happening. And, and I'm gonna get to it more later, but this is just a beautiful compilation of some of the things that Jesus is doing. And it really ties it up and clarifies why he's doing it. But I wanna give us an encouragement as we step into uh, this passage. And that encouragement is to view this through the lens of what is this saying about who God is? And the reason I say that is because I'm human. So when I come to scripture, a lot of the times I got a lot going on in my life. I got a lot of things happening, a lot of questions. And I can be even unintentionally seeking for answers for those questions in the passage. But when we center our mind and we say, God, what is this saying about you? Not only does it clarify what the passage is really speaking to, but more importantly, it gives us the foundation of which to function. So again, in verse 45, it says, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he dis while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. So we have this story and the beginning of it kind of recalls us to the last story, right? He sent his disciples on mission. And when they were on mission, they, they came back and they were exhausted. They were just tired and he saw that they were exhausted. And in him seeing that, he said, we need to get away. You need to go to a desolate place. We need to get on this boat and head out. But what happened is they, they were met by a crowd of people. And so they didn't get that rest. And, and after a day of teaching, after a day of feeding thousands of people, he's like, get off the boat. It's kind of like when you're at a wedding and, and those helpful people just send the family home and say, hey, we got this. Like, he's like, I'll take care of the crowd. You guys, you go ahead of me, you go ahead. And, and, and it's this really, really thoughtful, really uh, intentional move by Jesus. And we see another thing that stood out to me in this is that he dismissed the crowd. I think sometimes we miss the reality of what happened. We're like, yeah, he fed 5,000 men. So probably like 15,000 people, but that means they're all sitting there. Someone's got to tell them to go home, right? Like they're very willing. Now they have full tummies to just hang out. It's like the house guests that you invite for dinner and they crash on your couch for a while. You're like, I need you to go home because I have stuff to do. So he goes to the crowd and he dismisses them, sends them back into their community and then immediately goes to the mountain and prays. And there's some, there's some biblical motifs that are going on here. One of them is the fact that the mountain is this place of revelation. We see it all throughout scripture that when people go to the mountain, they get revelations from God. And the second is one that's kind of specific to Mark. And that's that Jesus, when, he, uh, when, he, when something big happens, when there's miracles, when there's stuff that's happening, Afterwards, he tends to retreat to God. He retreats to the wilderness, to these desolate places. And, and I realized that's so much opposite of how I function. Because when I have something big coming up, like even preparing for this, I desperately go to God over and over in prayer and, and bring my request to him and go to him. But, but Jesus seems to flip that. And I thought about what is the result of that? Because when we go to God before something big that happens, that's not bad, we should, and we have access to him. But when we go to God before something big happens, we bring our situation. But if we go to God after something big happens, we bring ourselves. We bring our raw emotion, excitement, joy, sadness, anger, frustration, confusion. We bring ourselves to him. And it really challenged me as we look at this and say, God, what does this say about you? and what implications that might have, it challenges me to say, I need to be more intentional with going to God 
after these big moments in my life. In verse 47, it says, and when he came and when evening came, the boat was out on the, on the sea and he was alone on the land and he saw them that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. We see this and it paints a picture. And this is really important because I think this picture is intentional. And the picture is this. You see Jesus, maybe in the, for, the front left of the, the picture, in focus, really close on the mountain, overlooking the sea. And in the distance, kind of out of focus, you see this crashing waves and the disciples in the boat and just straining towards what's going on. And this is this really clear, really distinct separation between Jesus being in this place of revelation, being on solid ground and the disciples experiencing the chaos and at the mercy of the sea. And that's important. I think that's important picture that was painted for us as we move forward. And the first thing that it says is that he saw, and again, this goes back to Jesus as advocate. You can't advocate for something until you see that thing. And he saw them straining. And I looked up this word and this word is intense. Straining doesn't even like, like really like say what this word means because it's also a word that's translated into torture and torment and putting to the test. But the type of putting to the test where you're like, let's see how much I can bend this before it breaks, that type of test. And we see this reality where the disciples are and they are giving everything they had and, and they are using all the resource of their knowledge as fishermen, of their strength that they have from being in physical like jobs their whole life. And they're putting all that together and they're getting to the end of their rope, right? Like, like they're, they're confronted with this reality and the reality is huge. It's that all the resource that they have is coming to the end and there's more expected of them. And, and I want us to realize that, that position that they're in outside of Jesus, that they're, they're using all their resource and they're coming to the end of it. And I wanna ask us, have we ever found ourselves in that situation? Have you ever put so much effort into something and done your best to do everything you can to make it through, but you found yourself coming to the limit of your resources, but you knew there was more and you were confronted with the reality that you don't know what to do? The first thing that comes to my mind is, is this time uh, after my first job in ministry where I was in between and, and I was experiencing something I hadn't experienced since I was like six years old with, the, with my mom and stuff like that. And that was anxiety. And, and it, I remember experiencing it and it was changing how I would interact. Lindsay would be like, what's going on? Are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I'm fine. But it was this struggle. And so logically I'd be like, okay, this is going on, this is going on, it's fine, like you're good to go, but I couldn't shake it. Like all the logic, all the things, all the things I knew what to do wasn't enough to let me slough it off, to let me get past it. And I realized that I was incapable of just getting rid of my anxiety. And that was terrifying. I didn't know what to do. And I was at the end of my limit and I see these disciples and they're struggling and they know they're at the end of their limit. And I wonder, have you ever been there? Have you ever been to the end of your limit? And if you have, and you're here now, that means you got through it. So there was something that interceded for you. And maybe you haven't gotten through it. Maybe you're in it right now. And either way, I want us to listen in on what this means and what this looks like, because it's an important factor to, to how we understand what Jesus is doing here. The last part of this says that uh, it was the fourth watch of the night. 
And, and that means it's in between like 3, uh, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So this is before sun comes up. And, and there's these statements that we have in our cult culture, right? It's like, it's always darkest before the dawn. And I don't even know if that's true because technically the sun's closer, so maybe it's not. But what that's stating is it's stating a reality. And the reality is this, that when you experience the fullness of the night, when you experience darkness for a significant period of time, it starts to close in on you. You start to feel the weight of all of it. You start to feel the heaviness. You start to realize that, that you only have so much to offer when you're in the darkness on your own. And so the disciples aren't just in the situation of physically being exhausted. They're also in the situation of being in this darkness. And I remember when I was younger, we would just grab a backpack and sleeping bags. And it'd be nine o'clock at night and we just climb to the top of a mountain, lay sleeping bags out and sleep. And I always remembered by the time we laid our sleeping bags out, it was cold, we were exhausted. It was kind of creepy, right? Cause you're just out in the middle of the forest. And I just remember that. But the moment the sun started to peak up, everything changed. Instantly you had energy, instantly everything was okay again. And I think that's what it's speaking to here. That there's this, there's this desperation that we get to in our lives when we realize that we can't provide everything we need to get through it. And there's this dependency on it. And it's important for us to realize that we hit those moments, important for us to state that outrightly, that, that mental issues like anxiety and depression aren't just stuff that you just slough off or get through or just pray through, that you need help, that there's more that is needed but luckily we have this passage to get clarity on what that is and what that looks like. It says, but when they saw him walking uh, on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and they cried out for they all saw him and were terrified. And rightfully so, right? This, you get to this point when you're doing everything you can, when you're working as hard as you can, when you've logically exhausted every resource that you have, that, that when anything else comes into the situation, when any nuance to your life comes in, you don't have the capacity to deal with it. And because you're in that mode, it's like you're in a fight or flight mentality and you have two options and that's to attack or to retreat. And I think of it like when you see these shows where they rescue pets, right? And, and they come up and these people want to help them and they, and they walk up and this animal is like attacking back at them and snipping at them. And there's these little puppies and they don't know what to do because when you experience the darkness for that long, you have created this reality where the only way to survive is to attack. And even people that are trying to help you, you're terrified. And because you're terrified, you lash back because you're trying to make it on your own. And that's what the disciples are experiencing. That's the reality that they're confronted with in this ship, in this boat with Jesus on the water. But Jesus says, but immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And what I love about this is it's in contrast to the last time he calmed the sea, right? When he was with them and, and he said, and he talked about their faith and he still calmed the sea and everything. But this time he sees them and he sees them struggling and he sees them at the end of their rope. And, and as a good shepherd, he goes and he wants to be with his sheep. And, and when he gets there, he doesn't rebuke them. It's different than the other one. He doesn't rebuke them. But the thing that he says is out of compassion. And he says, and he looks at them and he says, take heart. This word translates to be courageous, have courage. It's gonna be okay. And the reason it's gonna be okay is because I am here. It is I. 
And this just brings up the thoughts when, they, when, it, when God was asked, who should I say that you are? And his response was, I am. The great I am is with you. And I know you're at the end of your rope and I know you've exhausted your resources, but it's okay because I am here. So don't be afraid of what's next because it's not on your shoulders anymore. And a beautiful thing happens here that, that gives us this other piece of the character of Jesus. In verse 51, it says, and he got into the boat with them. And when the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded, he got into the boat with them. He didn't fix it. He wasn't like, okay, cool, calm seas. I'll meet you guys over there. I'm walking. When he saw them in struggle, he went to them and he entered into their reality. He stepped into their reality and experienced that with them. And he, and he entered into that. And as we look at this and say, what does this say about you, God? What it says is that presence has power. And as children of God, as, as the people of God, as people that are people of the kingdom, we need to take that and say, my presence has power. And that's really important for us to know. It's important for us to know for ourselves, but also for the impact we have on other people that presence has power. And with the next words, we see this, that after he gets in the boat, he says, and the wind ceased. And the wind ceased. That Jesus being the advocate and being the shepherd saw, went out and was going there but, and got in the boat with them. But more than that, Jesus isn't just our, our, our shepherd. He isn't just our advocate. He's also redeemer. He comes into a situation and he redeems it. And what I mean by that is he takes what something ought to be after it's been broken and corrupted and, and perverted in whatever way that's happened, that he takes that and he restores it to what it should be. And that's what we have access to. And that's what's going on here. And that's the miracle. And you're like, but Josh, did he, did he walk, he walked on water? Yes, he did. And that says something. That says that Jesus, there's a physical manifestation of Jesus elevating himself above the thing that can swallow us. That's crazy. Like Jesus elevates himself above the thing and has dominion and power and authority over the thing that if we were left to our devices would take over us, swallow us, engulf us, and we wouldn't be able to make it through. But the miracle that's happening here is that he enters into that reality, not just as a shepherd that's there to be in it with us, but as redeemer, the one that can do something about it. And he goes on in verse 52, for they did not understand, they were astounded for they did not understand the lo about the loaves and their hearts were hardened. And we critique the disciples here. And, and I know I do too. I was thinking there, I was like, dude, how do you guys not get it? Like he's done this. He's literally done this thing before where he like makes like the, the sea good and you're good to go. Like what's going on? And I realized as I was thinking about that and then not understanding the loaves, what this, what those word actually translates into is they're not connecting the dots. That they're seeing the trees and, and they aren't seeing the forest because they're stuck in the trees, right? Like they're experiencing things that haven't been experienced by anyone ever in all of creation. And so when we critique the disciples, I wonder if that's more of a statement about ourselves than it's a statement about them. 
because have we in, in our literacy, in our access to the word, in our tradition, in our reading, have we uh, become so familiar of the acts of Jesus that we are no longer in awe of his ability to redeem something. We're no longer in awe of his authority over that which can crush us. So when we see the disciples and we see them struggling, maybe we shouldn't critique them. Maybe we should long for that type of awe, maybe that type of missing it, right? Because it's not until we understand that left to our own devices, that left to our own power, that we can't make it, that we will be swallowed up until we get that. We never will truly rest in and glory in and proclaim what Jesus brings to our life. And he wraps it up with these last verses. And again, I feel like this is an exclamation point to what's he, what he's doing. In verse 53, it says, when they had crossed um, over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore and when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And so we see this progression and it really sums up a lot of the things Jesus has done in previous chapters, right? He crosses the water, people recognize him and gather, right? And that recognition of who Jesus is forces them to move and have movement and do something about it. And we see the deeper meaning here that crossing the water invokes uh, crossing the Red Sea, right? That Jesus is the bridge that brings us from slavery to freedom. And that's the reality of what he's bringing. And, and then we see that people recognize him, right? As advocate, as shepherd, and, and now as redeemer. And when you recognize that Jesus is redeemer, it results in something. But this, this caught me off guard because it's different from the previous passage. It results in movement, but the movement is not selfish. It's selfless. They see God, the redeemer out there. And they're like, I know someone who needs redemption. I know someone who has a need that needs to be met. And they go and get them. They become advocates for that person. They step into their role as a part of this kingdom of God at work that Jesus is making happening right now. And it's this crazy thing that Jesus encouraged the disciples when they're like, hey man, these people need food. And Jesus is like, oh, you see a problem? Do something about it. And like, we have nothing. We have five loaves. And he's like, yeah, I could use that. I can use that. Go. And, and, and there, he's encouraging them to step into their role, the part that they're called to take and what Jesus is doing. And these people just naturally are doing the same. They're advocating for these people. It says they're carrying them over on mats. Like they literally, these people couldn't carry themselves over. And they're going and they're bringing them to Jesus. And we see not just miracles happen, not just uh, uh, cool things and stories that proclaim who Jesus is, but we see a new reality coming into existence. And it ends with this verse. In verse 56, it says, wherever he came in the villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick into the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many touched it, were made well. Now, now we can get caught up in the weeds of all this and, and say like, oh man, if we could just find that garment it has healing powers, right? And, and Jesus can heal you without even thinking about it. And it's like, yes, that's true, but you're missing the point. 
The point is, is that the proclamation of Jesus is not a proclamation of heaven. It's a proclamation of total and complete redemption. A result of which is eternity with God is heaven. Yes, but if that's not the sum total of the proclamation. The proclamation is total and complete redemption. And, and, and we look through the gospel of Mark and what we've seen so far, and we see Jesus being born. And that has implications, right? That Jesus needed someone to feed him. His mom literally had to carry him. He had to learn how to walk. And there's a theological issue, right? Like, did he have to learn? Did he know? And he was just pretending not, you know, like, but that's again, being stuck in the trees. Like, that's not the point. When you zoom out and look at the narrative of what's happening, we see that Jesus was a man. And what that says to us is that he experienced the things that we experience, that he, in a very real sense, got into our boat. He understands fear, pain, suffering, uh, joy, excitement, and he can meet us there because he's experienced those things. And so we see that Jesus is man. And then we get to stories like this with miracles and this crazy thing where Jesus walks on water and makes a little bit of food, a lot of bit of food and all these things that happen. And it proclaims a very real truth. And that is Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord over all. He has dominion, power, and authority over, over nature, over the thing that can swallow us, over all realities that Jesus is God. But more important than Jesus being man and more important than Jesus being God is that Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is Redeemer. And what I mean by that is that Jesus is the Messiah. And what the Messiah is, is the specific role that, that someone was gonna come and they were gonna fill and they were gonna enter into our reality and, and, and reign over a new kingdom. What we didn't realize is that he was gonna bring in a new kingdom, a new reality, a new way of life, not only that we can benefit from, but that we can participate in. And, and what Messiah means is it means deliverer, savior, and redeemer. He delivers us from, from the other side of the water, right? From slavery into freedom. He delivers us from that. He's our savior that he, he brings us and ushers us in to his glory, to, to his uh, kingdom, to his family, right? We're children of God. And at the end that, he, that he's redeemer, that he, that he redeems the things in life that have been broken and torn apart and, and, and beaten down. And those things that I'm talking about isn't just our culture and the structures and society. Yes, absolutely those things, but also our identity, how we view ourselves, how we view others in light of how we view ourselves, the thing that God created to be beautiful and perfect and wonderful that the, we've allowed the world to, to pervert and corrupt and, and discredit, that he comes in those situations and yes, he delivers us. And yes, we have eternity with him and he saves us. But the most important thing, the biggest thing is that ultimately Jesus is redeemer. Let's pray. God, I just thank you. There are no words more profound and more powerful in all of creation than those words that you are redeemer. 
that that's what you're doing. That is why you came. That is why you experienced life. That is why you experienced pain and isolation and betrayal and, and joy and food and laughter and all of those things because you knew that total and complete redemption could not come unless you got into the boat. So God, I pray as, as we find ourselves at the end of our rope and maybe we're Christians, maybe we've done this for a long time. And, and in some way, our, our religion has become one of those things that we get distracted with. That if we pray, if we read our Bible, if we, if we go to church, then this equation will result in us just getting through it. That we might realize our inability to make it through on our own. And we realize that, that what sustains us is not miracles but what sustains us is your presence. So God, that's a promise that comes with a call that we might engage that, but we might also realize that we're a part of that reality in other people's life. So I thank you that we aren't in it alone. I thank you that it's not just my ability that I'm gonna make it through this life, that, that I can just figure it out, that it's all on me, but I know that you are with me, that your presence is here, that your kingdom is now, and that there's more at stake than just my ability to make it. That there's a bigger purpose, a bigger calling, a bigger belonging that we get to be a part of. So whoever's hearing this, wherever and whenever they're hearing it, I pray that you birth into them that reality. And we give these things to you in your name. Amen.